Welcome to Call It Like I See It, presented by Disruption Now. I'm James Keyes, and today we get into what we see with our apparent descent into political tribalism. Joining me today is our own international man of philosophy, Tunde Ogunlana. Tunde, if a tree drops in the forest and no one hears, does it make a sound? (laughs) Apparently it does, brother. Apparently it does. (laughs) Yeah. All right, all right. So we're recording this on December 9th, 2019, and we wanted to go a bit further into what we see with how labels are used in our political interactions. In our previous show, we talked about Bernie Sanders and his insistence on identifying himself as a socialist and using the socialist label. And that that may be unnecessary in terms of conveying what he's about from a political standpoint and may actually undermine him getting his message across to people. Uh, So today we wanted to have a broader discussion on how all these labels are are thrown around and used in our interactions and discussions. So Tune Day, what do you see in how people are using these labels these days? Is it to describe their political beliefs or are they verbal gang signs? Um, I think it's it's, uh, definitely more of a gang sign than political belief in, in today's environment. I mean, I'm trying to think back has it ever been different? And I'm sure there's periods of, of ebb and flow where things are a little bit more tense. Um, and then, you know, we go through periods of, of kind of relative calm, so to speak. And yeah, in today's world, I think that it's more of a, a gang sign, a, a sports team, you know, that kind of mentality where my side, my side doesn't do wrong. Um, and the other side is evil. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, now that's what you see. Um, you know, like it, if you want to go at the core, you know, like your, your liberal label is, you know, about liberty, you know, and, and about avoiding um, rule by church, you know, or, or by, you know, hereditary monarchy. Um, you know, it, it, it's about things that we take for granted these days, at least to some degree. And conservatism, you know, like we, which we consider those are our spectrum. Conservatism is about preserving the status quo. Um, you know, whatever that is, it, it's not necessarily tied to specific things um, from a fundamental level. Now, it means certain things and the status quo in this country has meant certain things over the time. But yes, I, I don't think people use these labels right now to indicate their beliefs really at all. Now, it may be about what they like to think of themselves as for whatever reason, you know, like they like to think of themselves as someone who is comfortable without change. And so they'll identify themselves as a, as a conservative, or they like to think about, think of themselves as someone who can embrace change. And if, if it's the right kind of change. And so they want to call themselves a liberal, but, or a progressive or, or whatever you want to call it. But it's not really that in terms of the way, like people are using these things to basically say, as you said, you know, what team am I on? This could be, you know, a Dallas Cowboys jersey or, you know, a Los Angeles Lakers hat, you know, and, and that's what we see. That's how it's used. And the meaning attached to it, like you see people's policies, you see people, what they, what they really believe in. It has that oftentimes will have nothing to do with what those underlying labels believe or, you know, what, what, what they stand for. Well, I think it's two things because you know you, what you're saying is giving me a lot of thought here. One is I would say what we've seen is probably the commercialization of these labels over the last couple decades, um, which you know probably wasn't able to be done until the technology was there, right? Talk radio, mm-hmm. um, cable news, and then to the last 15 years or so, the proliferation of social media and just the internet itself. 
Um, because, you know, 50 years ago, let's say 1969, maybe somebody's not able to sit there and get ginned up into believing what they think a conservative or a liberal is, right? And I think the other thing is, um, kind of to your point about people want to believe that they're more, we all, the psychological studies have shown that we all kind of, all of us, me included, you know, have some sort of level of narcissism. Uh, most people is mild, but we all tend to think of ourselves in a different way than maybe the outside world sees us. And so I think part of it is, like you said, I think a lot of people want to believe that there's certain ways, but what I see in today's world as relates to these labels is I think a genuine misunderstanding, like you said, Bernie Sanders is a great example. And we had this conversation on a different show when we were talking specifically about socialism. Um, and my, my point was, he either doesn't know what the true definition of socialism is, because when you look it up in the dictionary, it says that the government owns the capital, that there's no private capital. So in a socialist society, so he either doesn't understand that or he understands it. And then, then, you know, maybe he is that extreme. Right. And, and I, and if he does understand it and believe it to be such, I'm, I'm kind of dumbfounded on how he thinks he's going to apply that <laughs> in the United States and let's call it a way, but that's a whole, Another topic. And I think the same thing with, with, um, cause I look at Bernie Sanders as an interesting example, right? Cause a word is a word. The, the other end of, of socialism is actually fascism. Um, and I, I, I'm, I, I remiss to even have these words come out of my mouth as I say them, but I'm sure that there's somewhere in the fine print, somewhere in the definition of socialism where one can say, Hey, this could work well in a certain situation in society. But I would say I don't think we've seen any historical examples where fascism has worked well for the general population and for the country as a whole. So um, I think that that's an example of labels uh, in one way and the other way, like you said, is more of the conservative versus liberal. And I think that. Oh, but those aren't even, but those aren't even opposing pieces, though, you know. Like yeah, I know. And that's, the that's what I was just going to say is, is mm -hmm. the commercialization of it. And I would say commercialization slash political politicization. I'll give you a good example. And that's something I've been thinking about for probably the last 10 years. Um, at, at what point did the environment become a political viewpoint, right? Like to be someone that wants to conserve the environment, I would think would actually be a conservative point. At, at its core, that's but, a conservative belief. Correct. Environmentalism. So, Teddy, you know, Roosevelt, conserve. Yeah. You know, Teddy Roosevelt so, was the, the first guy doing that stuff. And well, yeah, like you said, the, the, the whole idea of the word that's in there, right? Conserve. Yeah. Trying maintain to conserve status the past, quo. Maintain, maintain the status, status quo. quo. Yeah. yeah. So the status quo for, you know, four billion years has been the earth worked a certain way. But that's what I mean by the commercialization, politicization, that um, one doesn't have to make a far stretch to say, okay, you know, we already know that the information's out there by 1977. ExxonMobil had evidence that climate change was caused by the burning of fossil fuels, so one mm -hmm. of the main reasons. And, you know, like, like any, or not to say anybody, but like a lot of people, if they're on a grave vein and somebody comes to them with information that goes against the grain of how they're, you know, making it work, their mind is naturally going to kind of want to shun that and say, you know what, let's not, let's not put that study out here because things are good right now. And you know what? This is, looks like it's going to happen in two, three hundred years and people have figured it out. It's not my problem. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's become our problem. So so but in the meantime, through 
whether it's commercials on TV, lobbying, whatever, it somehow in the United States, the environment got split into a political, um, like football. And if you come and say, I'd like to preserve clean, clean air and water, somehow you're seen as some big lefty. And if you say, I want to burn, you know, remember the whole thing in 2008 with Sarah Palin, drill, baby, drill, drill, yeah. like, and I'm just thinking like, okay, so when did politics and believing in limited government or government assistance, you know, all those things that are traditionally political mm-hmm. in, in discourse, like how come the environment got drug into that? Cause we all got to deal with the environment. And I think everybody from a rational standpoint could understand that, you know, coal companies pollute, you know, dumping their waste in rivers is bad. You know, uh, companies uh, dumping certain amounts of mercury in, in, in rivers is bad. Um, we remember the eighties were kids, cities like Houston and LA where people couldn't go outside with yeah. at asthma. And so that's what I'm saying. Like, so how did this become political? We all know what this means when you just don't, regulate kind of emissions. Well, that's what and we're talking I, about, though. You know, that's what we're talking about. Is, saying, is, like, I get how it became political, but that's mm-hmm. what I look at. I, I, and I recognize that those that made it political had a vested interest. So I understand their point. And I guess what we're talking about today, I'm looking at more the consumers of that and the ones that say, well, because that guy over there is saying that, you know, the earth is going to, you know, experience warming and sea level rise and all that. Well, because I'm told not to like him, then I got to just jettison everything that he's saying. So if he's saying that fossil fuels are leading to a warming and climate, which is going to lead to warming sea rise, which is going to lead to all this stuff, then because if he's the messenger, then I can't believe it. I'm going to continue believing the messenger that I like. Well, yeah, but that's that's how I mean, where we started this from was political tribalism. Like, yeah, people are using the labels to identify tribes to say, hey, this or like I said, verbal gang signs like this is my crew. You know, we put it in the mafia standpoint. This is my family. And so essentially, whatever the powers that be at the head of this family or at that that, that, that run this uh, group, whatever they say that's what I'm going to align with. And in fact, there are studies on this. You know, I was going to get into this later, but I might as well talk about it now that there are studies and we link to this in the show notes here that go into how people, once they have, once they've chosen a team, whatever team they are, they align their beliefs to whatever, to other things with that. Like, so you may say, hey, I am, you know, a Republican for this, or I'm a Democrat for this. Well, Ultimately, what will end up happening is that you will then adjust your beliefs subconsciously, not even like something where you sit down and consciously and say, "Okay, well, I have to believe this now. I have to believe that now. But subconsciously, you align your beliefs with the platform in general. And so what you end up with basically is, yes, people who love to hunt and love to fish and you would think would want an environment that you can hunt and fish in being supportive of dumping toxins into the lakes so you can't fish them because that's the message they're getting from the powers that be in the group that they've chosen to identify themselves yeah no and and i i agree and that's why i said i brought up the environment specifically because i felt that you know look we could obviously there's there's things that are very personal people right topics like abortion um to a lesser extent something like taxes can be very personal depending on a person's life experience about things like that and all that stuff. And so I feel like all those are legitimate or whatever footballs that can be tossed around politically. But one, that's where to me, it was a good example of that just us as humans, 
the tribalism, the, 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 the um, I guess, the real subconscious, um, I wouldn't say need, but I guess evolution of tribalism is so strong that something, exactly what you said, right? People that really love being outdoors and hunt and fish and understand nature in that very intimate way, right? You, you mm-hmm. fish, you understand the ecosystem of the ocean, the water, or the, the river. You hunt. I mean, I got friends that are big-time hunters, and they talk about how they, you know, they put the deer piss out there, and, you know, and they track the thing and the whole thing, they, and actually revere the animal. Like, they don't just look at it, I'm just killing this thing. They're like, you know, these animals are very smart. They know, you know, it's almost like this game. And so it's like, well, how come then you support people that will are telling you they're going to repeal laws that keep that area that you hunt in so pristine, you know? Yeah. And that's where to me, that's why I say I give it as a, as my first example of it really started sticking out to me about 10, 15 years ago. Like, wow, that's how strong the tribalism is that things that are rational, like keeping the environment clean. And I would even argue, forget about, climate change and that whole discussion right now because that's a little bit abstract and esoteric. And I know in the last few years, there have been some more noticeable changes in sea level and, and climate just being a little bit out of whack in certain parts of the world. But I would say, bring it back to just pollution, right? Yeah. Like we talked about in the 80s. I mean, everyone could see the smog in LA and Houston back in 1985. Yeah. And we don't see it now. So obviously, the regulations that were put in place to keep the air clean so human beings could breathe properly actually work. Or, or something like the ozone hole. Remember in the 80s, we all, when we were yeah. kids, yeah. seriously, but everyone thought that that was going to be a big thing and all the, yeah. all the sun rays and radiation come in. And then we stopped using, uh, what was it, um, chlorophyll? Not chlorophyll. No, CFCs, but, I believe. You know, like CFCs, that's what it was. And, um, you know, within a decade or two, the ozone um, stopped, um, the hole start, stopped expanding and actually started closing. Yeah. So, so there's, there's actual real-time evidence in our lifetimes that we're, you know, you're 40, I'm 41, old, you know, men here, um, that there's a, a lot of people that are older than us that have lived through this. And that's kind of what I started thinking, like, man, all these people out here that are older than me remember this stuff too. And they're so, um, they're so engaged with their tribalism to hate the other side that there's no more reason anymore. And I would say this even on, on the side of like, um, you know, what we, we would consider the left or liberals um, when it comes to some finance things, right? Wall Street's bad. Everything about capital, you know, obviously capitalism, but the capital markets and guys that make money and billionaires are bad. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not necessarily true. I mean, you know, there's a lot of innovation, a lot of positive things that have helped society that come from the capital markets and the way that our system rewards those that take risk. Yeah. And, um, and so it's just, I guess... In, in this recent heated time of the last few years, I'm kind of just sitting back and watching everybody and being like, wow, this is interesting. You know, just this whole, this whole moment in time. It, it definitely is a way to hijack reason. I mean, when you look at, you know, like the liberalism really became something in the world, you know, in like the enlightenment period, you know, you go back to the 1600s, 1700s and, you know, like the belief that people were rational. And that I always look at as the, the the biggest failing of the Enlightenment is that they thought that people were rational, particularly people in groups. You know, a person can be rational. Yeah. 
um, you know, particularly a person that's dispassionate about whatever you're talking about. But when people are passionate about what you're talking about or when it's a group of people, they're not rational, you know. And so in most of our political game that we see now is about getting people amped up about something or, or getting people really focused in on something or something else uh, or trying to distract people from whatever is going on that you don't want them to see. And so it's, it's clearly designed to play on the fact that people aren't rational, but our system of government is set up that people would be acting rational or considered in their own best interest uh, or even understand what's in their best interest or what they align with. So, you know, there's a failing there. And so le leading into that or, or coming from that, so do you think this is getting worse? I mean, because you've referenced back a few times, you know, things 20, 30, 40 years ago, which I don't necessarily agree with you. Like, I think that there were very specific impressions people had of hippies, if you go back to the 60s, or of Black Panthers, or, you know, of the civil rights, you know, movement, or yeah. anti-war, or whatever. I think there were very specific things people thought about those people. And now it may not have been if that person would have came up with the cure for some disease, I don't want it, screw that person because I don't like them. You know, because nowadays it seems like that would be like someone could come up with a great idea. But if you don't like what group they're in, it's like, well, screw that great idea. I don't want that great idea because my group didn't come up with it. Um, but it was there, you know. And, and so the question really is, do you think this is getting worse? Do you think it's just more prevalent? Because another thing, see, social media doesn't necessarily bring new things out all the time. Sometimes it does. But it also just lets you know what everybody's thinking. Yeah. And. You know, as opposed to everybody like you just assuming or taking polls and things like that. So maybe people have been like this the whole time, but now we just see it. And, you know, now it's just in front of our face all the time. So what do you think on that? Yeah, man, no, I think uh, like, I think you're right. I think humans have always been this way. Um, and I've said this before in other discussions that look, the human brain, uh, you know, and, and kind of our modern human selves, in a sense, uh, based on the archaeological record, has been about 200,000 years of Homo erectus, the way we are now. So what that tells us is, you know, when the guys were building the pyramids, they were the same humans in terms of the way that the brain worked and all that, that we are today. I think the biggest change has been um, uh, the technology. And so, um, and sorry, uh, I stand corrected. It was Homo sapiens, not Homo erectus. Call <laughs> <laughs> me a Homo erectus, man. I'm, I'm a little. Yeah. I got a lot of jokes I'm about to say, but I'm just gonna. Leave it there. <laughs> um, so yeah, Homo sapiens for sure. Um, that we've been for two hundred thousand years. Maybe the fact I said that means I'm still evolving. I don't know, but <laughs> just this late in the evening. Let's just say I had a long day. So, uh, but definitely the, the corrections duly noted. Um, but back to the point at hand is, so if you have kind of a biology that evolves at a certain pace, and now, you know, over the last couple hundred years, we know that technology has, you know, definitely grown. But I would say in the last 20 to 30 years, really 20 years with the advent of the internet and pro proliferating um, to the point where over the last 10 years to 15 years, we've had it in our palms, cell phones and all that, um, that that has spread it to a way where I'm not sure human beings that were mature enough to deal with it. I think that's the case because you're right. Group think is much different than individual think. That's been well documented. And you make an interesting case about the enlightenment period and all that. Cause one of the things I always used to tell people is some of the most liberal men in our country's history were the founding fathers. 
Yeah. If you look at the documents they wrote, they're very liberal documents, yeah. Yeah. Um, especially when you look at the times they live in where there was no such thing as a democracy, um, really. I mean, even England had a parliament at the time, but they still had a king who yeah. could shut things yeah. down if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. So, so this was a real experiment, and these guys were, at the time, very liberal, progressive thinking and were shattering norms. Um, and uh, I guess, you know, People could argue with me on that point of, of the defining them as liberal, but um, no, I don't think you can. Like, I mean, it's pretty clear from the system of government that we have. They, it was a it's a liberal system of government that is run in a conservative fashion. Actually, you know, like it, so it's it's difficult to make changes. But the stru- like freedom of press, freedom of religion, those are liberal processes. Correct. Those are liberal constructs. Like there's no, that, that, that's not arguable, you know, like, so when you set that up, when in other parts of the world, you say the wrong thing and you get thrown in jail. Cause remember that's what freedom of speech is about. It's not yeah. about that you can say stuff and, and you can't get fired or you can say stuff and people won't do business with you. It means that the government won't come and put you in jail for what you're saying. And that kind of stuff is undoubtedly liberal constructs and, and concepts and that they put that in, like you said, when nobody else in the world was really doing that at that time, when they put that in, I mean, they were undoubtedly liberals from an ideology standpoint. But again, I, I acknowledge though that, and again, this is why you can be liberal and conservative and that the, the ideals, the, 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 the lack of or the, 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 the liberty, the people participating government of the people, by the people, for the people, that's liberal. The fact that you have, a, a two house Congress that has to both pass a law, a bill, and then they have to be signed by the president. That's a conservative setup so that one person can't just willy nilly make a change. It, it, it's difficult to change the status quo. And so it slows things down. That's the conservative aspect of it. So, you know, it's interesting to me in that sense that, you know, our country has that conservative setup, but the ideals and the, the, the belief system, the, the structure of everything is very liberal. But go ahead. I'm, well, that's, that's probably where the healthy tension comes in and why, to I think our knowledge, um, this has been the longest uh, standing free democracy in the, in history, you know, recorded history, right? I mean, even the Roman Empire and certain others, I mean, there still was an emperor. I mean, there's still, again, yeah, there they was just a guy that out was, out. yeah, they, even they though they had a Senate. Pretty quickly. Exactly. So, um, so the thing is, is that, um, because going back to you, you said some interesting things there. I mean, number one is, I think that in today's modern discourse, there has been a loss of the use of the word liberal outside of a, just a political kind of label, you know, label, right? Like there, there is something, right? We are in a, what's called a liberal democracy, democracy, yeah. little L, not, yes. not, and, but people think of liberals, they just think of hippies. So I think your point is well taken there. And, and the other thing, cause I want to loop back to what you said, cause it's very interesting when you said about the enlightenment that they, they thought that people would think rational and people don't think rational in a group. And I think, you know, even back then, the founding fathers, remember, a lot of the things that we consider democratic about our country actually came decades uh, after the founding of the country. So, for example, up until I think like 1900, these like the individual citizens didn't vote for the president of the United States. We only could vote for a senator. And then the 100 senators kind of got in the room and elected the president. And at a certain time in history, only landowning white males were given the ability to vote because I think that that's a, the tension between, you know, the, the idea of we want to believe everyone's rational, but, but the reality that they probably said saw too in their day that 
too many people with a mob mentality and just acting off emotion is probably not a good thing for society too. So therefore, we're going to limit the ability to participate in this process of what we're going to call a democracy to people who we think have a little bit more um, skin in the game. They're a little more educated, blah, 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 whatever they thought at the time. And of course, that excluded women, that excluded, you know, blacks and other minorities, that excluded uh, maybe even certain religious groups, because the idea was that, well, if you were a white man that became a landowner, that means you had a certain level of sophistication that you could deal with making these tough decisions about how to run a country and how to vote for the people that would, that would be in the country. Even if you're a white man that doesn't own land and you're kind of showing us that you haven't been able to step up to the plate to earn that. And so I think the definition of what a democracy has, is, has moved, obviously. And I think that goes back to today's modern the issue with social media, because going back to your comment on there, you're right. I've thought about that, too. Like what's what social media allows us is really to look for the first time inside of a human being's brain literally at instantaneous moments. Yeah, real time. And, 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 and I look, and definitely not to make this about, you know, the president in terms of the, the, the topic here, but I just bring him up because he's the first president we've had that is an aggressive social media guy, right? And by aggressive, I don't mean his demeanor. I just mean he aggressively uses it in terms of he uses it a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. there was that article we saw recently that in one day he sent 105 tweets. So. Yeah. The yesterday, idea is that, as of the day we're recording this, yesterday. Yeah, no, but, but it's just the idea that this is the first time in real time that we actually get to see the brain soup of a leader of a massive country. Stream of consciousness. You never see, right? They're always yeah. polished. They're behind the scenes. They come out on the podium and speak at a press conference or at one of their campaign things, but we never hear from them. You know, it's 6.30 in the morning, the president's tweeting. At 10 in the morning, he's tweeting. As a show, it's like... So it's, it's a tracks, way that, it's on TV. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, but it's just, but that's why I don't want to make it about anything well, other no, than just but that's the fact to your that. Point. That's to your point, though. Like, you can see what he's reacting to in real time, you know? So you're getting a true stream of consciousness there. And I think if you multiply that out by now 200 million Americans that are on Facebook, right? That, this is like the first time we have like this real human thought experiment, which is what if I could just literally go into uh, my phone and at any given time, see what anybody that I know, let's just say everybody I know is on my newsfeed, I can just see what they're thinking. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, cause they're going to just tell me and they're just going to give it up by, by posting it. <laughs> and, and so we've just never had that. And I think that's what's created some tensions over the last 10 years too. Like people that consider themselves friends, all of a sudden when the election comes up and all that, they see the other guy saying stuff that they think is crazy. And they're like, Hey man, I thought I liked that guy. And now they don't like him anymore. And I've had, I remember around the 2016 election up until about a year later, let's call it by the end of 2017, over that kind of one year period, I knew many people that just kind of randomly in conversation would tell me, yeah, yeah, so-and-so, you know, they don't talk to me anymore because I either support Trump or I don't support Trump. You know, it was like all this. Wow. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm looking at the tribalism of it and saying, Forget about him. What does it say about us? That would support the fact, though, that the environment is making it worse. Like maybe we always had, you know, maybe right. we were always this powder keg, but social media has lit the fuse and things are exploding in that sense. Now, just for clarification point, it's senators that weren't elected, you know, by popular election until 1914. Um, okay. You know, and that was the 17th Amendment. Um, they were previously ele elected by state legislatures. The president 
um, the states, you know, as always, the states would pick it. And so it was, it gradually built up to from maybe about half of the states to uh, most of the states by like 1840 or so that were doing it by popular vote of that state. Um, so just, you know, just, just to, to tie that I point stand up. corrected. Sir. No, no, the point, the point is well taken though, <laughs> no, in terms of the audience deserves the, uh, the facts. So, but the point is it, regardless though, the point is that the, the, when, when these guys, these liberal guys for their time set up this thing, now, obviously they still, they didn't get rid of slavery. Some of them wanted to, some of them, you know, wouldn't, would not go for it at all. You know, so however you want to meet that out, it didn't happen. So not just the slavery thing, but also, yeah, it, it, only landowners, you know, only men, you know, and so, it, it it's not like at the time they were saying democracy, meaning all people vote, you know, like, so they, they already set aside at the time they were doing this great, this experiment, like, okay, well, it's just some people that we're going to, the people that we think are serious or the people that have skin in the game or the people that had a, a voice in the room, you know, like, cause you see the people that had a voice in the room were generally white male landowners. So, Hmm. Yeah. I wonder if, there was a room that had other people in it. If other people would have gotten a seat at that table, um, you know. So, and, and I, but I would like to say this, you know, in terms of the, the the tribalism aspect, you know, the U.S. has always been a conglomeration of tribes. You know, like the, the like Sweden. You know, you go to Sweden. You know, that, that's a much more uh, monolithic society. You yeah. know, and now there are differences, and people find reasons to be mad at each other still, no matter what. But our country has always been on the cutting edge of bringing disparate people together, people with a life. If you're looking for a reason to, to figure out how you're different than somebody, you don't have to go far in this country, you know, and you don't yeah. have to think, you know, it'll become readily apparent to you very quickly. And so there are a lot of reasons to descend into tribalism. Um, in the past, uh, you know, if well, you- can I, can I touch on that point for a minute? Well, yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, because I was going to say as a part of this conversation that I was going to go to where I, it's going to allude to the fact that geography uh, historically, when you look, and has played a big role in in, um, in, um, in in tribalism. If you look at, I mean, like let's say the last five to ten years, one could say that the conflict in Syria then led four million refugees into Europe, which then led to a resurgence of the European kind of populist tribalism, right? And one could say that the shifting demographics in the United States recently have done it. But you make a great point about this is part of our history, so. But I, I push back on that always. Um, now, granted, that provides some rationale, but the driver of that is always um, inequality in terms of people, the masses feel tight and they're looking for answers and they either look towards the people with all the money, but they rarely do that. And they, they are, or they are turned towards people that are different and, and, and told that those are the reason, those people are the reason why you don't have any money or why your life is hard. Those people are freeloaders. Those people are this and that. And so I think what you really see is wealth uh, concentration right now being at the level it was in the 1920s, which those 1920s led to the 30s and to great, great tragedies in terms of what people were doing to each other. And again, the driver of that was the inequality. It was the need for scapegoats. Um, and that's what you see now also, you know, because the wealth concentration is right back where it was. And yeah. so my my wonder on this always is that, because when you look at the U.S., the U.S. is particularly ripe to be exploited here, you know, in, in this type of way. And it has been over time, you know, like different groups turned against each other. Some, you know, amazing, you know, like amazing in a bad way, like just mind-boggling uh, tragedies, you know, that have happened here. Um, you know, like 
with that in mind, is this sustainable? You know, like ultimately, you know, like it is the ability to craft a liberal democracy and maintain a liberal democracy in a nation that is easily divided, you know, that's big, it's divided geographically, it's divided, you know, based on all these different factors. Um, is that even sustainable? You know, Vladimir Putin is gloating these days saying, you know, this is the liberal democracy is coming to a close, you know, like this is, this is, it's over. And, you know, now obviously he's taking steps to bring that about. Uh, so he's not just sitting back and, and relaxing and watching it happen. He's taking an active role in his demise, but nonetheless, is it sustainable? You know, like is social media going to be the end of it or, you know, like that, but that spark is going to be the powder cake that blows it up. I think I think it, like it, like I've been alluding to. I think it's as sustainable as human existence is. It's it's part of who we are. Um, I think the the advent of all this stuff, like we talked about, social media, the internet, I think has made it feel more um, intrusive and encroaching for us as individuals, right? Like because prior to the last twenty years, I could just decide not to be around certain people or turn things off the TV when I feel, and now. You know, if, if, if you're reading your news feed on your phone or your iPad or you're, or you're on social media, sometimes you just can't not see someone else's totally different viewpoint. And whether that bothers you or not, you know, that's going to be up to you. But I think that it's just kind of put all of this stuff in our face more. Yeah. I think you're right. The, the, I think it's a couple of things. It's, you're right in the fact that the inequality and the imbalances economically in a society definitely put the, the masses on edge and then they start looking for scapegoats and all. I think that's just classic yes. human society stuff. Um, and I think it just gets like, we're living in an experiment right now with it because, so it's happening again for the first time in 70, 80 years, like you're saying, since the twenties and thirties, but for the first time in human history, we have the ability, like we said, to see into other people's minds yeah. and to also do this in a way that it boomerangs around the world. So now, I've got people, you know, on social media from various countries, from this and that. Remember, like just 30 years ago, if you wanted to talk to somebody in Australia or China, but, you know, forget about the phone call, but just anything other than a phone call, it would take three weeks for a letter to arrive. Yeah. And that's the 1980s. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? So, so what I'm saying is we're also dealing with a humanity that in just in the last half a generation, like the last 10 to 15 years, the change has been so exponential that I think a lot of us just don't know how to deal with this change. And it'll probably take another 20 to 30 years till we have human beings that have fully grown up in this environment, that it be, it's actually normal to them. Because I think for most of us, this isn't normal, but we don't really um, acknowledge or see that. Because in reality, this isn't normal, right? I mean, just the way that people are acting. But well, at some when point, you're think, immersed in something, you cannot see the Correct. Balance. Like we're it's in the like, middle of the tornado. Exactly. Yeah. We can't see the shape of the funnel cone and all that from the outside. So to answer the question, I don't think it's sustainable, um, but I think we'll survive. And I think that's what's going to happen is usually the human pattern, right? Something keeps going until it collapses and then people pick up the pieces and figure out. And I think, unfortunately... Like you're saying, this is a big reminder of the 20s and 30s, and that didn't end too well for the world. I mean, it ended in a, 1945 <laughs> yeah, with 100 million world people war, killed. Yeah, world yeah. And so a I hope nothing stuff. like that happens, but looking at our historical patterns, it may. But what happened after the Second World War is, even though there was a lot of skirmishes and stuff and a lot of things happened um, after 1945, if you look at it from the macro 30,000 foot level, I mean, the world kind of agreed to just settle down. You know, like, all right, 
maybe doing these massive wars between nation states just you know that causes a lot of damage yeah and, no i mean know, you're 100 right for 70 and, years most people honored that and except for if you take out vietnam and iraq wars i mean there were no massive wars in the world that even were really, with those really massive. those weren't on the scale though correct they weren't world you know, wars you're world right. war you know when you had we just had a millions, massive military you know and the ability to really do damage yeah. but um but so that's the thing and and it, that's why it's such an interesting thing is I do think humanity will survive it. I just think it'll be painful as we figure out how to survive it. And then something like this is a, the equivalent of the, you know, white male landowner is the only one allowed to vote 300 years ago, whatever. At some point we are going to say like, you know what, maybe there should be a set of narrative facts that just these, all these um, social medias at least um, have to somehow support. I'm not saying that, because I think freedom of speech is important, so I'm not saying that you start blocking certain things, um, but right now the problem we have is there's no real facts. No one can agree on them. And so until... Well, no, that's not true. What it is is that people decide to find that, to, to, to create their own reality. If there are facts. If you want information that is truthful, there are places you can find it. Now, there's always, there always will be and there always have been people with agendas trying to tell a story a certain way. But you can find information. There, there's, it's, it's not one of those things. Like people would like, and this goes back to the political tribalism thing, people would like to hear about their side winning. And so they, but that, I, I don't think you can say that's unwitting. I think you have to put some level of responsibility on somebody to say, hey, you are seeking out facts, not, not even real facts. Like you're, yeah. you're unconcerned whether this is 100% true. You're, you're more concerned with does it fit the narrative that you want to hear played? And it's, and that honestly, that's a human thing also, you know, yeah, like, no, that's, that's everybody. I mean, yeah, think exactly. about all the shows we've had almost about this kind of, you know, just well, about, I'll, I'll break it down even more or even lower than that, you know, or, you know, even just more core to us. Like when you, if you listen to the radio and basketball game, there is a stream for the home team and a stream for the visitors team. And each of them is, has their own homer, yeah. you know, take going. And so that's something we like, you know, we like to hear, hear it from our side, you know, hear it from our side. And yeah. so, and that's the, that, that's where the rubber meets the road on all of this, where it's like my side now. And, and the interesting piece about it, political parties are supposed to be your side. Like they, they are clubs. That's what they are. You know, like it's, they, the, 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 the ideology changes over time. If you, if you track the Republican party back or the democratic party back over time, the belief system changes over time. The, you know, what they fight for, what they don't fight for the membership changes over time, but cause they're clubs, you know, like that's, they're supposed to be the labels. The interesting piece in the piece I really wanted to bring out here was now it's the descriptive label that, seems to be nothing more than a verbal gang sign. It's, it's just, it's just the family you're a part of. Yeah. You use the mafia reference. It's, it's not like a liberal is not someone who believes in liberty and who, who, you know, is skeptical of concentrated power. That is a particular, a particular club, the people who say they're liberals or, and in with Bernie, the, you know, the, the piece where it's just like, you know, he insists on calling himself a socialist when he can have all of the same, you know, like ide ideological policies. And we talked about this where he, he he's looking at Norway, Sweden, you know, like Scandinavian countries where they have um, 
more regulated. It's there's still some capital that operates. I know that's what I said. They're not and, real socialist countries. They're still yeah, capitalists. It, it's they a, yeah, it's, it's a, it's like a said, they're regulated different, and they might have different. They're uh, much. They have much more. Yeah, they have much more socialist programs. Like our socialist programs are like police station, fire station. They have socialist health care. They have social. They have more socialist college. You know, like things like that. So it, it's that's what he's saying. But the bulk of people when they hear that label. It's not that they're thinking Fidel Castro. They're thinking Joseph Correct. Stalin. You know, like it's not, or, or, or you know, even um, you know, whatever else. You know, like it, there, there are tons of examples of where socialism or in South America, even you know, like where you see that. And his his insistence on using that, he thinks he's being intellectually pure, but he's just misreading the room. Like that's not what people are right. using. <laughs> the labels are for, you know, right. that's not what people are using labels for. So. You know, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, what what happens? Well, real quick, let me oh, let me just jump in there because what I was going to say, you you made me think of something, which is, I think part of the problem with all this, um, with with it, is that everybody also has a different idea of what what their tribe is and what it means, right? Um, <laughs> like I have friends that are hardcore on on let's say both sides of the political aisle here in the united states hardcore democrat liberal lefties and i got a hardcore republican righty friends and but when i like you said when i look at the 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 speeches from ronald reagan just 30 years ago he, if you just read that text and didn't know ronald reagan said it you would thought it was a democrat today yeah. like that's how far the goalposts have moved for both parties actually yeah um and so and it's funny because I can ask two Republicans why they like their tribe or two Democrats why they like their tribe, and I'll get different answers from yeah. both. You know what I mean? So that's what I'm saying. And, like, and the converse. If you, ask, if you ask Republicans to describe Democrats or conservatives, so to speak, to describe liberals, they, and vice versa, the descriptions are nowhere near in the same ballpark. You know, Correct. it's like, it's like the people who are, are liberals see themselves as being about one thing and the people who are conservatives see the liberals as being about something completely different. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and vice versa. So there's such a, a misalignment there in terms and of... That, and that's what, what I think causes part of it too, is that people just ascribe their own, like you said at the beginning of the show, right? Like people describe their own emotional feeling to the tribe. And it goes back to a question we asked on a different show about like, and I'm now I'm just talking specifically about our country, is America a race or an idea? Like it, being an American, right? Yeah. Is, is, is that really about the idea that even a guy, because I mean, Ronald Reagan actually said this in a speech, that it was a beautiful speech. You know, you could go to Japan. You could, you could move to Japan from another country, but you'll never really be Japanese. Mm -hmm. You could move to Germany from another country, but you'll never really be German. You know, he did the whole thing with a few more countries. They said, but this is the only country where you can move from anywhere else in the world and be an American. Yeah. And so you there's know, people that believe that, and there's well, other people that don't, that say you have to only look a certain way and act a certain way and have a certain religious belief to be considered a, a, a real American. Let's say well, it that and, way. and interestingly enough, I mean, you alluded to this previously, if Ronald Reagan said that today, he would be called a rhino, you know, a Republican in name only. And, you know, they would disown him. I'll one-up you. I'm not even sure he'd have made it into the part to be, to be called that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so, yeah, I mean, and that, but that's what I mean, though, as far as how those, those clubs, you know, they change. And um, now I wanted to ask you, though, I mean, that generally speaking, and, and we've talked about this, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer, actually, in that, you know, people in a country do have to 
find reasons to have a shared experience and have to have things they 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 have together that they share. You know, if you you drift apart too much and nobody's really it, ultimately where you end up is nobody's there for the country and then the country will, will go away and who knows what'll happen at that point. Um, so what needs to happen, you know, for people to get more on the same page? Um, you know, like it, it, the the obvious answer in there you've alluded to already is shared struggle. Um, if, you know, if, if you know what hits the fan, then people at, at, after an initial period of just, you know, taking body blows and blaming each other, eventually what ends up happening is that people will try to come together this, you know, as a human thing, you know, people try to come together and, and, and resist or bring something back normally, not always. Uh, sometimes it has to, 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 to be brought from the outside or sometimes things just completely fall apart. I know like another piece, I know you're a big, you know, believer in, in, in you know, the teachings and, and concepts of entropy. So, uh, but what do you think has to happen, you know, for, for in our country, for things to get people to get more on the same page? Or um, is that, so, is you that up, so you beat me to it because I was going to conclude with entropy. So now, <laughs> now we're definitely thinking too much on the same well, page. We'll, we'll be scary, wrapping up here shortly. So you can, you no, can but, get in. But so let me save the entropy part. part. Yeah, let me save the entropy part. Let's just bring it back when you're ready because I, I was actually, that was on my mind too. But um, I think, you know, you make a very good point because I was going to say in the last hundred years in our country, I mean, I know there's a big world out there, but in the United States, um, just the two examples I thought of were kind of blending in the 30s and, and the World War II, you know, into the mid 40s. Like you had a Great Depression where everybody struggled. And then you had a war where millions everybody of had to men, sacrifice. Yeah, went to war and sacrificed for the first time in American society. That that kind of forced women out of the home to start working, you know, in the factories and all that kind of stuff. And you really had a true shared experience um, for the United States as a whole. Um, and so I think that the the you saw kind of the fruits of that labor over the next few decades in the United States, where there at least even though there was racial issues and other things going on, you know, popping up in the fifties and sixties and all that. Well, but those certain, issues went the arc of of time for those issues went in a direction that we would be very happy about, though. You know, correct. So, so and you're right. Even they, with they those happened issues. a lot quicker. Like yeah, you're right. Twenty nineteen twenty five was twenty years before nineteen twenty forty five. That was that was a much similar racial and, and and socioeconomic landscape in the United States between those twenty years than let's say it was from forty five to sixty five, yeah. and much different from sixty five to eighty five, and so on and so on. So you're right, and and what I'm thinking about is what to your point. It, it wasn't, but I'm not focusing on that so much as as like everybody, whether it was blacks, whites, no matter what religion. At post-World War II, there was probably about two or three generations where Americans respected the, the government and they respected working for their country and public service was kind of revered. And so that probably came from the shared experience of... Well, know, but it was only one generation, though. It was only uh, like it was only one generation that did that. Like the boomers up until the seventies, eighties type of well, thing. That's when the meaning, boomers took over in terms of control. Yeah, well, but so when the, meaning, the like, boomers took over, all that stuff went out the window. Correct. Right. So let's say up until about nineteen eighty. So you had a good forty years almost of of just the collective of the country saying, you know, we might we might still not like each other for the traditional things of race, religion, and all that. We might still have our skirmishes, but 
as a country, we're going in this direction. You know, we're all on that same big page. And so I think, I think you got something there uh, with the fact that we, we probably, unfortunately, will lead ourselves into another shared experience that's very painful to then allow us to um, be able to share some sort of commonality. I think that's, that's the cycle of humans. It takes it, some pain for us to- some, yeah. And well, I'd say this, I think that, um, I think it's important to, to, to frame it in terms of direction and, 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 and incremental progress. It's not that everything was all good. You know, let's say the, the great, great termed as the greatest generation, they started controlling the mechanisms of society and business in the fifties, you know, through like, you know, the seventies or something. Um, it wasn't that things were all good. You know, it was just more so that things, progress step by step in a way that we would be proud of, that we would say, yes, that that was the right direction. Because if you look at the hundred years before that, the motion was not in any kind of, there was no kind of direction of, hey, yeah, you know, as whatever, as an underprivileged person here or as as a minority or as a woman, you know, like it was significantly better, you know, like there were yeah. some, some improvements over the course of a long period of time, but that was, there was a lot of change there, you know, and there was blowback yeah. from that amount of change. Um, the other, the other thing, you know, like just for, for the sake of completeness, you know, like if you end up with a very visible and threatening enemy, um, that's another thing that can bring people together, um, conceivably now, um, you know, one could say right now that, you know, Russia would be a, a visible and threatening adversary. Um, but uh, everyone doesn't seem to be then saying, hey, let's let's be Americans. Let's be Americans first. You know, we have somebody who is declared they're trying to take us off the top of the hill. Um, so maybe that won't do it. Or maybe doing it from an intelligence standpoint, from, you know, an insidious standpoint, just doesn't uh, get people that, that doesn't galvanize the people to come together. I think that's the key is that it's not um, hot, right? Like with World War II, first of all, we got bombed. I mean, obviously Hitler was already invading Europe, countries in Europe by 1941, right? He invaded Poland in 39 and went into France and all that. So there was evidence of physical, right? Like movement and, 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 and physical aggression. And then in 1941, Japan decides, you know, some genius move to go ahead and bomb, you know, our naval base in Hawaii, in Pearl Harbor. So I think that um, you're right. Those were much more physical that we could react to as humans. Oh, holy crap, these guys attacked us. And I think yeah, we, we look at know, ourselves yeah. as a tribe then. Like, yeah. like oh, and, these, and, these people came after us. And I think the, 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 the genius move, I had to say it from the Russians and led by Putin on this one, was that this was all cyber and intelligence warfare. This was a great psychological warfare operation, which actually has been conducted over many years. Yeah, it's ongoing. So, correct, and it's ongoing. So by, by the time they did the full-on attack in 2016, the, the pump was somewhat primed. That's, I guess, what I'm saying, to, for Americans to already be divided enough that this can happen. Let's just put it that way. But to really speak, I know we got to wrap up to, um, to the entropy thing. I had thought about that where going back to, you know, the whole homo, homo erectus to homo sapien transition <laughs> of our modern brain uh, stem, you know, and the hippocampus and, you know, the amygdala and all that stuff in our brain that makes us what we are. Um, you know, I've thought about it like, you're right. Obviously the arc of progress over time 
seems to bend, or the arc of history, I guess, bends towards some sort of progress. I mean, I know that societies rise and fall, but I was thinking about it. Well, maybe that is what that's that's the the tension between the and the or the yin and yang, like you said, the, the liberalism versus conservatism is when both are healthy. There's a healthy tension that keeps a society actually pretty healthy. Um, uh, it's not good to have one side dominate too long uh, over the other. Or one side opt out from acting in good faith. Yeah. Or, that, or, I, yeah. So yeah, that's actually my to... biggest thing right there is that, you know, like the conservatives job is not to reject all change. It is to make sure that anything that, or that the change that does come is done in an orderly way. And then the liberals job isn't to just say every time you have an idea to rip up everything and start, let's do something different. It's to, Try to like then with the help of the conservatives, try to actually vet those ideas and, and bring those down. But both people have to be operating in good faith, you know. Yeah. Right? If they're not, if one side just decides, screw it, we're not here for any of this stuff, then the liberals end up with harebrained schemes and the conservatives try to take you back two hundred years. You know? Yeah, and and <laughs> I think that's the problem. You probably hit it on the head actually, right there, is that in our in our modern political discourse in the United States today is that neither side genuinely believes that the other side is being genuine um whether that's true or not if you they believe that the other side is not being is being disingenuous then they won't come to the table with good faith so it's interesting i don't point, know man that's joe, joe biden seems to think that every, everybody's yeah. operating in good faith <laughs> that's a whole nother topic but um but now to finish up with the entropy thing is but that's kind of my my i guess my example right that maybe we're living through a societal entropy right now and and as painful as it is, it's, it's, it's like the entropy of, of you know, order to disorder, right? We have a star like our sun, which right now in its current form, one could consider as orderly. You've got a healthy tension between gravity and the energy that's trying to escape gravity, and that keeps the sun in, in check. At some point, that will end, and one of the two will 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 win, right? It'll either be a total implosion that creates a black hole and eventually starts sucking everything in to create something new out of that, or it'll create a supernova, which will be a massive explosion, which over then time will create new stars and new galaxies and all that. So that happens over billions of years. So this, to me, was like, I was thinking, this is like a societal entropy. We had the order of the 70 years post-World War II that we just discussed, and this kind of relative um, stable situation in geopolitics of who the big dominant players were. And maybe right now we're seeing that erode and it's going from that order to disorder. And similar, because I think that we forget how recent certain things in history were. You know, the Ottoman Empire, people still think of it as something in the Middle Ages. That ended it, it really in, in 1919, 1920, yeah, at the end yeah. of World War I, yeah. and created these countries like Turkey and Syria and Iraq. Those countries never existed before. Yeah. They were all just under the Ottoman Empire, one landmass. Yeah. That's what ISIS thought they were doing in creating their caliphate again. They thought they were going to, just like Hitler thought he was going to retake over the Germanic Empire and make, you know, when he took over Austria and Poland. So... You know, this seems to be one of those times, just like after World War One. you know, the kind of whatever that order was of the 1800s into the 1900s. I mean, you had countries in Europe called a country called Prussia yeah. that no longer existed. Right. Um, the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Yeah. 
countries like Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia, Hungary, they were all created. They didn't exist prior to 100 years ago. People don't realize how recent all that turmoil was and how. And so we probably are just in another phase of that. And it's an entropy phase where we had order and now it's turning into disorder. And hopefully we survive. <laughs> That's all I can say. Everyone knows where it goes. I, I just want to be like one of those little nebula things out there that just creates into a new sun. I don't want to be totally annihilated by the explosion. That's there you go, man. <laughs> well, no, that's why I introduced you as our international philosopher. You know, yeah, an international man, man of lot. philosophy. And I just read so, a lot. <laughs> no, nah, that's good. So, well, all right. Well, um, stay, I, think, I, stay, I, I stay off the internets, okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, next week, you know, we're going to get back into the culture series. We're, we're going to go into Outliers from Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, so we look forward to that, you know, discussing what we what we see in that book. Uh, so until next time, uh, I'm James Keys. I'm Tunde Gunlana. Thank you for joining us on another call that like I see it. <laughs>